All right, I'm going to continue with the study from last week because we didn't finish it. And so that means we're going to focus on Romans 8, verses 9 to 11 before we move on to the next section of verses, which you probably would today as well. And I'll read that again. As Paul says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. He is really teaching you how to be a practical Christian. He is giving you the litmus test to check your own standing with God. As we study this, it's pretty clear uh, that that's what he's doing. Now, we've already discussed that Paul sees the world in only two stages. Uh, and I didn't realize this until I got deep into this study, but it's, it's how God sees it. And that is saved and unsaved. All right, A child of God, an enemy of God. Uh, it's that simple. Uh, there is no category of carnal Christian. And this is something that I know affects a lot of you because a lot of us go to church or know people who say they're Christian, but their lives are not Christian lives. They're not walking with God. They're not walking with Christ. Uh, and as Paul would define it, they are not Christians. Because you must walk with Christ if you are a Christian. You have the Spirit of God within you. It compels you to walk that way. And so a person who is, who is on the road to discipleship certainly sins from time to time, but he gets up. He's convicted. He, he asks for, for uh, confession and repentance. And he continues to walk with God. Uh, but the unbeliever does not. They are immune uh, to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And so the Bible tells us, and this is important, that we are to examine ourselves as to our standing with the Lord. If you look at 2 Peter, verse 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Now, it doesn't mean that you are making yourself saved, but it, what it means is you are effectively taking the litmus test of your life. Lord, am I walking with you? Am I serving you? Am I the kind of Christian you want me to be? And if I'm not, I should be convicted uh, because God doesn't want you to stumble. Uh, it becomes important. What is your standing? Where do you stand with God? Uh, and none of us should rest until we are standing in the right way with, with the Lord. It becomes important. And so in these verses that we just read, Paul is talking about the Christians' uh, past, present, and future in those three short verses. Verse 9, you see, talks about the Christians' past. He describes clearly those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit and not the sinful nature. It's very obvious. If you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, you will walk with Christ. You will walk in a holy way. You will be with God. 
But if you're not controlled by the Holy Spirit, you will not walk that way. You will walk with the world. And we have to understand that, that this is a critical issue. Uh, there's no ground, no title of carnal Christian. So if you find yourself, really, and this is your own test. You don't confess this to me or anybody else. This is between you and God. But if you find yourself that you're out in the world, that you're doing things that really you know God would not approve of, and you don't need me to tell you what those things are, because if you're doing those things and you've received the Holy Spirit, you cannot be comfortable. All right? I can testify to that myself, where I've been places and I've done things and been places years ago where I wasn't comfortable. I didn't understand it. Well, I'll understand it later. The Holy Spirit was convicting me. Uh, people like us could never be comfortable in that kind of life. And, and that's an important thing, even to the extent of your speech. Have you ever, ever said something to someone, and then the moment after you said it, you went, oh, Lord, I'm sorry, God. I shouldn't have said that. Maybe not you guys. I did, all right? <laughs> you know, because obviously I... I have, I have an issue where, where uh, typically I would launch rockets out of my mouth, uh, and then I would be sorry, all right? I'd be sorry because I'd be convicted uh, by the Holy Spirit, and I had to come and recognize that that's what God was doing. Uh, and so this becomes important. You belong to Christ. You belong to God. He's holding you in his hand. Uh, and so if you belong to Jesus... You have to live like you belong to Jesus. I mean, this isn't that complicated, all right? It becomes a willful, mindful, spiritual, heartful walk with God every day. And I think the way to do this is to ask God to intervene and give you discernment. Lord, teach me, help me, walk with me, take me away from those things that I should not be a part of. Uh, and God will honor those prayers. He will do that. Uh, and so when Paul is writing this letter to the Roman church, and by the way, he had still not visited Rome uh, prior to writing this, but he knows that there's a church there. He's looking to affirm them, to lift them up. Uh, and so when we look at the past uh, in our lives, we see that Christians have been lifted out of our former sinful state and into the realm of the Spirit. And I know that you all uh, can testify to this. I mean, think, think about simple things. Think about where you were uh, years ago when it came time to go to church on Sunday. How many of you could honestly say you couldn't wait to go to church? All right? All right. God bless you, brother, because I wasn't there. All right? I, 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 you know, I certainly was not you know, in love with going to church. Look, I was the church organist. I had responsibilities in the church. All right? My father was the pastor. Uh, I went to church. I went to church out of a sense of obligation. And I wonder how many of us are in that same thing. But when God really visited me, really visited me, it changed me because then I found I couldn't wait to go to church. What happened? Was church better? No. John was better. You understand? And that's what happens. It changes your heart. You can't wait to go to church. Why? Because you know you're going to hear the word of God. And that's what feeds your spirit. You know you're going to hear about the Bible. And the Bible is the revealed word of God. You know that. And you're going to be with God's people. This is why this is important here on Monday morning. You are with God's men. 
This is a chance for you, maybe the only chance you're going to get during the week, to be together with guys who have given themselves to the Lord. Amen? That means everything. Now when you talk to these guys, they share the experiences that you're going through. What a wonderful experience it is to be with guys who are walking with, with the Lord. Uh, and so what it involves, you see, is a change of state of your body, uh, which God accomplishes. This isn't just mind control. This is the whole idea that the heart has been changed. And now you are under the reign of grace. How about that? The reign of grace through Christ. Uh, the fact that it is, it is of grace shows that Christ has done it. Now, this is important to remember. This separates us even from people who are leading a moral life. And I want to say I, I'm, I'm happy that I come across people from time to time who are good and moral people, but they're not Christians. Uh, and so what's missing in that relationship? Well, here's the thing. You can't really please God unless you're walking with Christ. Even as you think you're walking in a moral life, your morality is effectively human morality, typically coming out of the, the Greek philosophers. What it doesn't have is grace. You understand? Grace, the unmerited mercy of God in every way. It doesn't have the fruit of the Spirit which is poured into you by the Holy Spirit. Think about that. Uh, and so even as you try rigidly to live a moral life, uh, without, a, the, without the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit percolating in your life, you cannot really please God. This is important to know it. And so that's the difference between leading a Christian life and leading a moral life. Now, is it possible that as we walk, uh, in that life as Christians that we fall and commit sins and do things that are not morally correct from time to time? Yes. Yes. You're not robots. You're carrying around flesh. Yes, you will sin. But it is transitional sin. It is not overwhelming, continuing sin. And by that, I mean this. If you commit a sin... The Holy Spirit convicts you, uh, and when he convicts you, you immediately go to God and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Uh, but you don't stay in a continual pattern of the same sin. Because if you do, then there's something wrong with your walk with God. Now, verse 10 in this section that we have just read describes the Christian's current state of saying, by saying, if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Now, there are some misguided people who have interpreted this verse by saying that God does not want you ever to be sick. Well, that's not what this verse is about. You understand? This verse is about the day that the rapture will come and that the graves in this world will be opened up and all of those who died as Christians and who are in heaven will have their physical bodies brought out of the grave, resurrected out of the grave, and joined with their spiritual body. That's what this is about. That's what this means. Um, and, and, and God will do that. He will do that in a very powerful way. Can you imagine 
what it's going to be like in this world on the day of the rapture. The Bible's pretty clear. And all of a sudden, all, this, all the saints are going to be snatched out of the, of the world. Where airplanes are going to be without pilots. You know, I've seen, I know many of you have seen that movie. Uh, and and uh, buses and cars are going to be left driverless. Well, at the same time, the graves throughout the entire world are going to open up. And those physical decayed bodies are going to be returned to the spirit. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, what about people that get cremated? Is it possible that God can take the molecules and atoms and join them together as God? Is it possible? Please. Please. I mean, come on. What are we talking about? Are you kidding me? All right? You talking to me? Come on now. We understand the power of God. Of course. And so in my mind, it doesn't matter whether we're cremated or whether we're put in the ground. It doesn't matter. God will assemble those bodies, those physical bodies, no matter where they are. I don't care if they've been in the ocean. I don't care where they are. God, you know, uh, there's a saying in science, energy can neither be created nor destroyed. Remember that from your eighth grade science class? Energy can neither be created nor destroyed. And that effectively is the essence of that. You, God will put your body together. Don't worry about how you're going to exit the world. Worry about your soul uh, and your standing with Christ Jesus. Now, uh, through the Holy Spirit, we are now alive to God. It's as if God put a radio receiving device in your heart. He put it there. Now, some of us have done a good job of turning the volume down. Am I right? We've turned it down, you know. We're afraid that if we turn it up too high, that maybe we'll start looking like a religious flake, right? Uh, maybe our friends won't care for us anymore. Maybe I'll be too zealous. Well, that can't happen. Don't, don't think that way, really. That's why I, I laugh when I hear people say, well, I would come to the Lord, uh, but I'm afraid that if I did, he would immediately send me to Africa. And I look at them and I said, do you think God would punish the Africans like that? <laughs> Seriously, you think God would do that to the Africans who he loves? Sending you out there in the way your mind is? Look, God knows your giftedness. You understand? He has given you a set of gifts. All right? And as he's done that, he is going to call you to use those gifts uh, in the way that he so chooses. Uh, and so it's important for us to know this because God is now real to us. And if God is not real to us, then you've got to get on your knees and ask him to make you really, really appreciate him. Here's the thing. When you prayed before, before you were saved, when you were prayed before God gave you the Holy Spirit, you didn't know for sure if God heard you. Am I right? You're praying but for many of us, those prayers didn't go past the ceiling. But once you receive the Holy Spirit and that light is in your heart and you pray, you know that he hears your prayers. You feel it. Uh, and you have that assurance. We know that God is watching over us in every way. I love that verse. I believe it's in John 18 where Jesus says, I will be praying for you. How about that? Jesus Christ himself is praying for you. That, to me, to me, is an amazing statement of the love of God. Uh, and so we trust 
our earthly affairs to God in every way. You know, yesterday in church, I was speaking about the sovereignty of God. I'm in a seven-part series, Understanding God. And if you get a chance, go to the website of the church, naplesgathering.org, and you can connect on to that series. It's a seven-part series. Yesterday was part three. But part three was the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. And one of the proofs of the sovereignty of God for us is Romans 8, 28. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. That should be on your refrigerator. All things, not just good news, bad news. You see, the God of the universe is in control. He now has taken over our earthly affairs. And so what I'm saying to you as you walk with him, as you give it to him, give up to him in everything in your life, he takes over your, the management of your life. I used the example yesterday of Joseph, which to me is the prototypical example of Romans 8.28. Here he is, sold into slavery as a young man, separated from his family out of justice, sent to Egypt in, in slavery, and then 17 years cut off from his family. Now he's a slave in Potiphar's house. And there he is working, and Potiphar's wife unjustly accuses him uh, of rape. And now he's sent into prison. He's sitting there in prison, cut off. And I want you to think about this. He's in prison for years. Do you think he says at some point, well, this is good news. This is great, because I know from prison, I'm going directly to be prime minister in Egypt. I'm going to be number two. Of course not. Of course he doesn't know that. God doesn't deliver everything to your mind. But God managed the affairs of that man so that he would be positionally set so that somebody needed a dream interpreted. And those, those interpretations made their way to Pharaoh. And Joseph was called to interpret Pharaoh's dream in which Joseph said seven years of plenty versus seven years of famine. And as a result of that, Joseph became the number two man in Egypt. Now, who writes stories like this? There's no fairy tale that you could write like that. But that same sovereignty applies to you. Your life is the same way. God, God is in control. And so let me assure you, this is why we walk with God. Because here's the deal, guys. I don't know about you, but I have enough trouble finding my car in the parking lot and walking 10 feet in front of me. But God sees eternity. How about that? God sees eternity. He has a plan for you and your life in which he has orchestrated the events. Now, there may be times of persecution. There may be times of suffering. All right, But we walk. We submit. Because in every way we know he's in charge. And so now, as men of God... As born-again Christians, we are alive to the Bible. I bet years ago, you didn't really care whether you picked up a Bible. All right? You didn't care. Maybe you brought it to church on a Sunday, and if the pastor cited a section, you might have pulled it out. Maybe. Maybe you didn't even do that. Uh, but now you are alive to the Bible, meaning what? You can't wait to understand what God's Word is. You understand? Because you know this is the unfiltered word of God. He is speaking to you. He's speaking to your heart uh, in every possible way, in the clearest way. And as we walk and study, 
it gets clearer and clearer. Now, now, not only do you go to church, now you go to Bible studies, now you go to midweek services, now you can't wait to find another way to hear what God has for your life. <clears throat> and I, I want to cite to you the words of Paul to Timothy found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. How will you be thoroughly equipped to walk with God? The Bible. The Bible. That's what we're doing here. We're getting a deep dive in the Bible in order to equip you so that when you walk through the streets and you meet people, you're prepared uh, to deal with them, just like Danny did with that poor man who, who had an aversion to Christian music. But here's the other thing. As you are born again with the Spirit of God, uh, you are now alive to the Spirit of God in other Christians. This is very important. Uh, for just as the Spirit of God bears witness... Uh, with our spirit that we are the children of God, so does the spirit within us bear witness uh, with the spirit of other believers. That's what happens. And I can tell you uh, unequivocally that this is true. I have come to meet certain people for the first time, not knowing who they are, but I knew immediately, you see, that there was some magnetism there. Uh, and it turned out that they were Christians. They were devoted servants of God. And God allowed me to meet them, and I felt the power of the Spirit of God. God wants you to do that. God wants you to have that experience. And so here, I'm going to give you uh, the keys to determine if you are really walking with God, if you really are a Christian. The first one is, is God real to you? When you pray to him, do you know for sure that you're really praying to him? Do you hear him? Uh, uh, do you know that he is listening to you? Uh, when you worship him in church, it is, a is it a real God you are worshiping? Do you feel that? Do you feel the power of his presence uh, as you do that? Uh, secondly, is the Bible uh, a meaningful and attractive book to you? This is important. The Bible should be meaningful. The Bible should be attractive. You should open it often and read it often. Uh, do you find that you have a hunger and a thirst to know more? That's another test. Because you should. You should say, Lord, you, you know, the God of the universe, you are speaking to me. I want to know as much as I can about you. And finally, do you love other Christians? That's a big one. Do you love other Christians, even though they may have warts and they may annoy you from time to time? But can you see past that because of the fruit of the Spirit? Can you love them? And here's another big one. Do you love church? Do you love church? Do you love being in your church? Do you love the church people? Do you love the pastor? 
Do you love what's going on in church? Do you love the sermons because they're touching your heart in a way that only God knows? I'm amazed. Uh, often people will come to me after a sermon and say, I, I, I can't believe you spoke on that issue. How did you know I was wrestling with that? How did you know I was suffering? I didn't know any of this. Frankly, I would just as soon not know any of the personal issues in your life because I'd rather get up and speak with authority from the pulpit knowing that it was the word of God, not the word of John Garippa. Amen? You understand? I want you to know that if I'm preaching, it's the Holy Spirit-inspired preaching. Not me going around and doing a spy study on how you're living. All right? That's between you and God and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 11 here describes this Christian's future physical resurrection. You're going to res be resurrected with Christ. Uh, and and uh, it, it's important to understand this. It doesn't promise perfect health. Let's get this out of the way. All right, let's get this out of the way. Just like we don't believe, the Bible doesn't tell us that there's a prosperity gospel. It also doesn't tell us that you will never be sick. Because as I read the Bible, every one of us will die someday. And so if every one of us is going to die someday, perforce, we're probably going to be sick. And the example for you to focus on in this regard are the first 12 guys. The first 12 guys. How did it work out for them? All right? Did they live in big houses? They drive big fishing boats? How did it work out for them? Every single one of them was martyred. You understand? Martyred for Christ. And so what it means is that God sees life as far more important than the few puny years we have here in this world. Uh, and so this is important for you to understand. Look, Christ and God have altered your lives. They have altered how you walk. The present has been altered. The future has been altered. Uh, and the poignancy and power of the Holy Spirit and the Bible speaks uh, volumes on this. There is a whole new world out there for us as we walk with him. Uh, and we know that we will be with him someday uh, in a very powerful way. Now I want to move on to uh, the next set of verses in Romans 8 verses 12 and 13. Therefore, brothers... And sisters, we have an obligation. Underline that word. We have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Oh God, we couldn't be any clearer. You live by the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you will live. And we have an obligation, meaning that it is within our control. Meaning what? When we are saved, God implants the Holy Spirit within you. <clears throat> and it is the Holy Spirit, which is the very empowering agent, you see, which allows you to live a godly life. It's willfulness. Willfulness. You decide you're going to walk with God. You decide you're going to put off the misdeeds of the flesh. Uh, and this becomes our ever ongoing obligation as Christian men and, and women. We have an obligation, you see, to lead a holy 
life. You have to live a holy life. And you have to live rightly. This is what God demands. This is the test of whether you are truly a Christian. We have to be grounded in this uh, to prove that we are, in fact, Christians. Now, this is also about understanding sanctification. Sanctification. And sanctification is this. It's understanding the day one and day two experience of salvation. Day one, you are saved, right? You accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're saved, and God reaches across eternity, implants the Holy Spirit within you, and you are saved. But you're not righteous. You're not holy. You're not living a godly life yet. Uh, God sees you as righteous because now through Jesus, there's a filtering lens in front of you from Jesus. But now the day two experience is sanctification. And it's day two to day 10,000, no matter how many years you live after being saved. Meaning what? You pick up the cross and you walk with Christ. You are walking daily. And that daily walking with Christ under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is sanctification. He is changing you. He is modifying you. He is pouring the fruit of the Spirit into your life. Now, the things that you did before, you won't do again. You're convicted, all right? And when you're convicted, you ask God to forgive you. Uh, and it's an important point. Uh, and you see that in this verse. Therefore, he says, therefore, meaning it must be. If you are a Christian, there is no other way to live. Uh, and, and here it's making it very clear. Christians have an obligation to live according to the Holy Spirit rather than the sinful nature. An obligation. There is no choice. You must do this. And it's a willfulness. It's a willfulness of your mind, controlling your mind, and controlling your heart. Look, here's what God has done for you. He's given you the Holy Spirit so that now when you step out of line, bzz, you're convicted. You understand? You're convicted. Oh, God, I can't. I'm sorry, God. I shouldn't have said that. Please forgive me. I shouldn't have said that. Uh, I shouldn't have gone there. I should have been more uh, dependent upon you. And we all walk like this. We're all in that situation. And so what it means is we are now alive to spiritual things. We weren't alive to spiritual things before, but now we are. And as a result, you're insured of an entirely new destiny. Here's the thing that God gives you. One of the things that he gives you is that through this, you shouldn't be afraid to die. Now, I don't say that you welcome death, all right? I'm not saying that you need a lobotomy, all right? But what I'm saying is you don't have the overwhelming fear of dying. All right? Because I can tell you this, I know that the day I pull my last breath, the next breath is going to be in heaven. And I know you feel the same way. So what does it mean? Do I, do I want to walk away from everything that God has called me to do? No. But if it's his will, if it's his will, then so be it. I know people ask me, well, what will happen in the church uh, if you die? What will happen in the church if you die? You're 73 years old. What do we know? What, where are we going? I'm going to say, well, God's in charge. You understand? God's in charge. I'm not worried about that. I'm going to serve him until he punches my number. All right? That's his deal. That's not my deal. 
And that's how we all have to uh, live, knowing that God's in charge. Do you think I could live under Romans 8, 28 any other way? Of course not. And this really gives you the incredible peace of God. Because you know people that are, are fearful of dying. They're, they're obsessed about that fear. And you don't have it. And if you do have it, you need to ask God to intervene with you. And so we walk this way because there's a recognition that God is doing things for us that we could never do for ourselves. This is the ongoing obligation of walking with him. To live as God would want us to live. Now this is a very serious subject. Uh, and it's a very serious obligation. Living for Christ. Living for God. Uh, and putting aside our sinful nature. I want you to understand something. You will always struggle with the sinful nature. Just because you've given yourself to God. Just because God has imbued with the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to think that God took the sinful nature and went, that's gone. No, you're still going to walk around with it because it's the flesh. You understand? And it's until we step from this planet into heaven, we'll have to deal with that. But he's empowered you and given you the authority to walk in the spirit and, and to put to death the sins of the body and to yield the various members of your body to the righteousness of Christ. We now have a new status before God. We are changed people. Uh, and all of this takes place because of the union of the Holy Spirit uh, within us as God's presence in our lives. Uh, verse 13 says here, If you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. Well, what kind of death is he talking there? Is he talking about physical death? No, of course he's not talking about physical death. He's because all people, whether they're Christians or non-Christians, are going to experience physical death. This is not physical death. It is spiritual death. And so the point of that is, uh, if you walk according to this sinful nature, you will experience spiritual death, otherwise called hell otherwise called absence of God in your life. Uh, and this is important. Uh, he's not talking here about sinning Christians. He's talking about people who have not accepted God. The unbeliever will die spiritually. In fact, they're, they're spiritually dead already. I mean, one of the things that you have to learn in love is that when you see people who have not accepted Christ, you need to understand that they are effectively dead men walking. This really changes your obligation to speak to them about Jesus Christ. Can you imagine having a friend or a relative that you know is a dead person walking? Wouldn't you want to reach out to them? Wouldn't you want to speak to them and embrace them and tell them, look, I'm concerned, I love you, but you're outside the will of God. And you have to be able to embrace them and love them and talk to them. This is our obligation. This is part of walking with God. When we see the lost, to embrace them. That's why Jesus gave us the great commission. It wasn't a suggestion. It was a command. We have to reach out to these lost people. Uh, and, and if you don't have that desire in your heart, then you have to get on your knees again and ask God to speak to you. These unbelievers will die spiritually. <clears throat> I don't care how good they are, 
how loving they are, how personable they are. Uh, they will die spiritually. And so you have an obligation. How are you going to reach them? How are you going to talk to them about Jesus? Look, the first thing you could do is bring them here. How easy is that? Oh, I have a place with a bunch of guys. I think you'd like it. You'd feel comfortable. Come out and have coffee and donuts. What a great place. Uh, bring them here. That's the first thing you can do, all right? Look, I'm not telling you that you have to deliver Theology 101, but if you bring them here, I'll do that, all right? I'll do that, and, and their lives will be impacted. Then what? How about bringing them to church? Oh, is that an outrageous thing to do? Why don't you come to my church? Why don't you come and hear what God is doing? We have a, a lovely group of people. You'll, you'll be impressed. Bring them to church. How about that? Have you ever thought of that? Well, I, I, I feel like uh, I can't do that. Uh, I'm impo you're imposing. You're imposing. The only thing you're imposing is a life preserver. That's what we have to remember here. This is all about us intervening with people who are not going to be in heaven. And if you love them and care for them, this is a responsibility that you have. Uh, Paul makes it clear uh, that if you're a non-Christian, this is where you're going, outside of God. You're going to hell. Two classes of people. Uh, and he's imbuing that uh, in our mind, in our spirit. <clears throat> if you don't live by the Holy Spirit, you will die. Now, there's a whole category of people that think they're Christians. You understand? They think they're Christians. Some of them may have been baptized. Some of them may have gone to Sunday school. Some of them may even be members of a church. The last time I looked in the Bible, I don't see any of that as being the reason to know that you're saved. Oh, I, I'm sure I may be offending some people. Uh, but baptism doesn't mean that you're saved. Baptism is a public testimony to the world that you're part of the kingdom of God. Well, for some of us, all it means is going in dry and coming out wet. You understand? Going in dry and coming out wet. There's no change in our life. And so we have to be mindful of people that think they're Christians. They go to church. They may be on church committees. They may even be deacons or leaders in the church. And yet I want you to know that if they're not living a life according to the Spirit of God, they're not saved. They're not saved. All right? According to what, what Paul has told us. This is a serious subject. Uh, and so we want to reach out in love, in love, and be the example. Look, I'm not saying that you go to a guy like that and say, I want you to know something, you're going to hell. That's probably not going to be well received. <laughs> but instead, if you put your arm around that person and say, you know, I, I love you, I care about you, I'm praying for you, and, and, I, want, and I want you to think, do you think that the life that you're leading right now is in accord with the will of God. And if you do it in a loving way, in a loving way, people will respond. You know, asking questions is the way to go. Not by making statements, but by asking questions. And you ask a question like that, you probably will get a response that's honest. Uh, and so this becomes important as we recognize the obligation to walk with Christ in every way. Look, to be a Christian means this. First, God has done everything already in his power to save you. You have done nothing to deserve it. 
All you did was recognized you were lost outside of the will of God and lifted up your hands and say, Father, save me. That's all you did. You recognized you were in a desperate condition. And when you did that, he saved you. Everything is in his power to do that. And when he did that, he implanted you with the spirit of God, put it right inside you. And let me say this to you. There is not a secret formula or a methodology or a mythical experience that you then need to become a better Christian. Do you hear what I just said? There's not a secret formula. There's not a mythical experience. He has empowered you and given you everything that you need to walk with him. He's equipped you perfectly for every good work. Amen? All right, so I mean, I see these books that are, are, are written, you know, you know, five ways to become a, a better Christian, six ways to do this, three days to do this. Look, everything you need is in this book. He's given it to you. He's empowered you. Now get on your knees and connect with him. Walk with him, recognizing you have an obligation, an obligation to do this. And secondly, secondly, you will find that you will live for him. You will live for him. Uh, you will put the deeds, the misdeeds of the body to death. You won't be going to places where you know it's not in God's will. You won't be doing things that you know it's not in God's will. You may not even be affiliating yourself with people that you know are not advancing the gospel of Christ. Look, one of the things that I found uh, as God really has spoken to my heart the last 25 years is that I've lost a whole series of friends. There's all kinds of people I was friends with before that don't like to hang around me anymore. They don't ask me out to dinner. They don't invite me out. But now I have found that he has given me better friends, more profound friends, people that go to church that love God. And he has surrounded me with the greatest group of people I've ever had surrounded in my life. That's what God does for you, you understand? And so you live for him. You walk with him. And so the question is for you every day when you get up, dear Lord, what do I need to do for you? Who do I need to speak to? How do I walk with you in a more profound way? And as I submit to you, and as I walk with you, my life is going to be better in every way as I impact the kingdom of God. Look, I told you it was 25 years ago. I sat in a darkened church, nobody there, 2,000 seats. And there I was, halfway back, meditating about what God wanted from my life. My father had died. I was in a position where I didn't know where my spiritual future would be. What do you want from me, God? I'm 50 years old. Where am I going? And a, a mentally handicapped young girl came into this darkened theater uh, church with, with her mother and proceeds to walk down the aisle, passing hundreds of seats and sits behind me. How about that? And I'm convicted as I watch this, you see. Because I see this handicapped girl, the same age as my son would have been about that time, and I'm convicted because I never thanked God for the healthy son that he gave me. How many of us fall in the same way? I never properly thanked God for what he had done for me. And as I'm praying there and thanking God and asking him to forgive me, I see a colloquy go on between this woman, her mother, and somebody from the church who was inviting her to Sunday school. 
who said, we have Sunday school here uh, for mentally challenged children. My own son is mentally challenged, uh, and I'd love to invite your daughter. Uh, and with that, the, this 16, 17-year-old girl, handicapped as she was, says in a clear, powerful voice, Oh, yes, I love Jesus. He's my Lord and Savior. I was dumbstruck. I couldn't say a word. It was as if God took a sword and plunged it through my heart. And I hearly, clearly heard these words in my mind. You see, John, you can speak in courtrooms all over America, but I never once heard you say those words publicly about me. For years, I couldn't tell this story without crying. But I understood immediately the call on my life. God, this is it. This is what it's about between you and me. You want me to speak publicly about you? That's the role I understood immediately it was. And that changed my life forever. And what that means for you is this. You have no idea the impact of a simple word that you're going to see. That changed my life more than any sermon I ever heard, more than any speech I ever read, more than any book I ever read. That simple statement by that mentally handicapped God girl was used by God to change me forever. And now I knew when I got up every day, my job was to speak about him, to speak about him. And you, my brothers, are no different. God is calling you in the same way. You have an obligation to speak about him. You have an obligation to reach out to the lost. Look, that's why Romans 8 isn't written about. That's what this is about, to reach out to a lost world and to touch them, to embrace them, to let them know what does it mean to be saved, how our lives are changed forever, and how God wants us to impact this world. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you so much for the lesson that you've given us today, for the words of Paul, who over the centuries ring even truer today than ever before. Lord, we are compelled to serve you. Lord, we are compelled to walk as men of God. We have an obligation. We want to serve you. We want to speak about you. We want to put to death the misdeeds of the flesh and raise the spiritual issues in our lives. Bless our men. Continue to empower them. Bless them to go out into the streets of this city and to help to change it in a powerful way as we speak about you. Bless them and protect them all so that we will come back next week to continue our study. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Amen.